Did you know there's a cell-free zone in the United States? Anybody aware of that? The large area, 133,000 square miles where there's no cell phones, there's no cell signal. Uh, if you went out to Washington and you started to drive west, you drive into the Allegheny Mountains, and in there is this particular area. Now, why is that? Well, you see the NRAO, that's the National Radio Astronomy something, and it's, it's, it's the largest telescope that can be steered in the world. The largest telescope. So they do a lot of research there and things like that. But it's such a powerful telescope that they have to make sure there's no other signals around it or confuse it. So in that area, again, no cell phones and no microwave ovens. I mean, you could live without a microwave, huh? <laughs> and uh, no wireless doorbells. We have one of those. And you're like, wow, they really shut this place down. Uh, there was a man who lives in that area, and he was saying, yeah, it's really interesting because, you, know, you know, I, I push back from work. I get the Internet, obviously, obviously wired, but when I leave work, I leave work, and I'm out of contact. <laughs> no one can reach me. He goes to his son's soccer game, and, yeah, people are actually watching the game, talking instead of being on their cell phones, right? What a unique thing. Now, I would like to live in that area. I would not. I'm a gadget guy. I'm an early adopter. I had a Palm Pilot back. <laughs> Palm Pilots? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was great. But really, it wasn't until 2007 the iPhone was introduced and Android was introduced in the last nine years. It really revolutionized our culture, the way we live, the way we work. And uh, it's a big distraction, isn't it? It really is. People on their cell phones sometimes four, four hours a day. They say the average is 5.5, whatever. But even four hours, right? And they're not talking on their phones. They're playing with their phones, okay? And I remember before the cell phone age, life was pretty good. And my main concern is for our young people. Because of the texting and the different ways of communicating, Instagram and all that kind of stuff, that they are not developing the relational skills that they need to move throughout life. And uh, I think it's very dangerous. And for the kids growing up, you know, who are always hooked up at the age of two, that kind of thing, we need to be very careful uh, with that. Because it's so distracting. Right? You always want to check your... Phone. I think they said that the average checking of a phone was like 221 times a day. You know, a marriage of the thing. And we're going to be talking about distractions today and how Nehemiah taught us how to deal with them. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to worship you today, to come and gather and sing songs to you and Listen to your word and apply it to our lives. Well, I pray that your spirit would just open our hearts. That we would listen and that you would point out whatever you want to say to us. We come to you humbly. In Christ's name, amen. Well, 
Let's get back into the story of Nehemiah discovering your spiritual pathway. How are you to proceed? How can you grow as you move down that spiritual pathway? Well, today he's going to teach us about distractions and get us away from our spiritual pathway. Now, this is Nehemiah 6.1. The, the gates are the only thing that needed to be installed. The wall was up. Amazing. The wall was up. The gates are the only thing that needed to be put in. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gate. The three amigos, right? (laughs) I mean, they've been working against Nehemiah all this time. They've been trying to create confusion. They've been ridiculing him and the Jews. They've been threatening him. So they had to stand out there with a trowel and a spear as they worked just to protect the place, right? And uh, now, now the wall's up, so what do they do now? Well, their only strategy is to personally attack Nehemiah, ruin his credibility in order that the Jews would realize that this guy is not having the right motives. Now we go to verse 2. Sam Ballot and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakrafim and the plain of Ono. But they intended... To do me harm. Now, when you look through Nehemiah, it's the most common book used for leadership development. You're teaching from the Bible because there's all great types of leadership principles in here. And, and one is discernment. You have to be discerning. And some of you have the natural gift of discernment. God gave that to you. And boy, I tell you, use that gift. Because you can help others out. You know? Uh, but, but, but being able to discern things, just not to trust people quickly, just to, to think about things and size things up. And, and we'll see Nehemiah using his discernment throughout this passage. He always goes back and checks with God and checks with the wisdom that God has given him. So he knew hey, right away this was going down. What they want to do? Well, the plain of Ono was equidistant. From Jerusalem to Samaria. It was right in the middle. It was kind of a resort area. So Nehemiah would have to travel a day there, spend two days there, and then or a day there, and then a day back. So it's like three days. Now again, this could have been thought of by Nehemiah as a concession speech, one might say. In terms of these guys saying, hey, all right, you built the wall. Yeah, you you did a great job there. Hey, let's now be partners. Can't we just be friends and work this all out? You know, you're the governor of Judah now, and we're governors of Samaria and different areas. Let's get together and work together. But Nehemiah, and, and this only happens when you're walking closely with God. And you might not have the gift of discernment, but the closer you are to God, more effectively he can speak to you about situations in your life. And he can give you the wisdom that you need. So he know, he knew that they intended to do me harm. So what we have is Nehemiah saying, oh no to oh no. Did you get that? Huh? Oh no to oh no, yeah. Okay, all right. But... <laughs> 
we go on, it says, And I send messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? This is, this is very, very inventive of him. He doesn't say no, right? You see the word no in there? He said, hey, i got a great work going on here, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I mean, why should I even go to this meeting? We're, we're, we're wrapping this wall up. I, I've got, I'm doing great work. Great work for God. I just love that part of the verse. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. What's the great work that is going on in your life? I had a chance to visit Eric Runk, who's one of our elders, and he is the principal of Fox River Grove Middle School. And it was just amazing. I went in there, and all the kids are gone, of course. And he had been there eight years and just done a fantastic job. He used to be at Huntley High School as a vice principal. But he talked, uh, took me through the building and showed me all of the improvements that had been made. Not to show off or anything. I was just interested in them. I was watching them, and I said, wow, you know, 201 kids go to that school. 201. Now, I'd call that a great work in terms of Eric's leadership as a principal and all the different situations he has to deal with. And I was just like, wow, it's like I was looking at the walls of Nehemiah. (laughs) But you know what? Each one of us has a great work to do. What's your great work? Have you ever said to somebody, hey, I can't do that. I've got a great work going on here. You might try that. It's interesting, right? I've got a great work. What is your great work? I'll tell you what your great work is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your great work is that you are making disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what your job is here. That's my job, to invest in people in whatever way I can to build them up and help them to spiritually grow. That's why I get so excited about talking to you guys on Sunday mornings because it's kind of a unique type of vehicle to preach God's Word and to inspire you. And uh, Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways, though, that discipleship can be done. It is a great work. So what is the great work that you're doing? Well, if you have kids, that's a great work right there, right? You're raising them, you're teaching them, you're setting the example for them. And moms with kids at home, God bless you. (laughs) I see these moms going through the atrium, you know, and the kids are all over the place. (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Because it's so draining. You'd like to say, oh, no, right? And the kids are distracting themselves. They're they're always distracting uh, you. But you're doing a great work. There's no more important role than a mom in terms of the impact that she has on her children spiritually, molding them, uh, giving them the example that they need in order to see how Christian life is done. That's a great work. Or maybe you're a grandparent. A grandparent. Yeah, there's a great work still for you to do with your children. Now, again, your children might not want to talk about it, but you can live it out. You can live it out by the way you handle the relationship, by the way that you show love to them. And if you do have access to the grandkids, I know in some situations where 
you know, kids have cut off contact because of uh, Christian's faith. Uh, it's actually here today. And that happens. I mean, again, we're not popular being Christians. You know, Jesus Christ said, I'm going to turn against you. And, but you have such an opportunity as grandparents. And sometimes you might minimize that, but don't minimize it at all. And then, of course, we have this great work that we're doing at Springbrook. And, and I'm just so excited, and I'm looking forward so much as we progress this year and moving on this uh, discipleship-driven vision uh, because we're even going to come out, become more intent on helping you to become disciple. We're creating a discipleship pathway in which if people are willing to go on, uh, they'll know that they're growing in Christ because they'll be involved in these things. And another critical thing that we'll add as people are interested is our, our triad or our uh, triad groups, our discipleship groups where you have maybe one person uh, who's leading it or facilitating it, and then you have two people uh, that they're just talking together. It's always mutual discipleship, right? And we've got a lot of that going on right now, uh, but we want to take it to a new level as we move because I was reading this book on discipleship yesterday, and I got so excited because uh, this writer was saying that the church has lost its focus on discipleship. And we try to disciple people through programs, and really the true way to disciple someone is just face-to-face Encouraging someone, going deep in their lives. And uh, yeah, I got so excited yesterday just hearing that because that's what we're doing. That's what we're working towards. And uh, we're doing a great work. And so we don't want to be distracted as a church. We want to keep our, our approach simple and have people understand it. And we'll be telling you more about that. Nehemiah 6.4, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. They would just not give up. Four different messengers, same, same request. That's the way life is, right? People are always asking you to do something. And if you are a person who can do things, they know you can do things, so they'll ask even more. But there's a point when you have to say, no, I only can do so much. And I've got to concentrate on the things that are most important to me, that God has pointed out as my great work. You know, it's interesting, you know, people always say, I'm really busy. When was the last time you heard somebody say, wow, I don't know what to do. Life is so good right now, and i got spare time. I'm going to go bowling or something or go to the movies. <laughs> you don't hear that. I'm always busy. You know why you're busy? Because you choose to be busy. You have made all the choices that have put you in the situation you're in right now. I'm talking about myself as well. You chose to get married. Didn't you know that would take a lot of time and a lot of patience? And you'd have to you know, invest in that relationship like long time? You made that choice. Don't complain about it. You made that choice. You made the choice to have kids. Maybe one or two were a surprise. I don't know. But you made that choice. And you knew the more you had, the more stress you would have. You made that choice. I'm not saying anything about the choice. I'm just saying that you made it. Right? And you you chose your job. And okay, difficulties on the job. That's common with every job. But you chose it. 
And then I think about entertainment. I think about smartphones again. And Okay, let's say four hours a day. Uh, I don't know. But it's high. You're choosing that. You're choosing to invest your time because it's a distraction. All right? To get you out of your negative thoughts, whatever the case might be. It's not all bad, but at the same time, it's a distraction. You've got to ask yourself, okay, how much time do I spend on my fart <laughs> smartphone? Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> smartphone a day. And uh, what can I cut out? What, what am I not doing because I'm distracted by my smartphone? What am I not doing? And really think hard about it because we make choices. And again, we've made all those choices. And you make your choice about how much time you spend on entertainment. So again, you do have some control over your life. The problem is that you do everything is important. Everything should get the same type of attention. And you can't do that. You've got to ask God to guide you through that. Nehemiah 6.5 In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Okay, so we're switching up here. Yeah, we're doing the innuendo, just kind of saying, eh, I want you to get together, you get together. Keep saying, no. okay, all right, we're going to change it here. An open letter, which meant that it was open, and so everybody that it came to as it was passed down the line from Samaria to Jerusalem had a chance to read it. And it wasn't a very nice letter about Nehemiah. You see, moreover, in those days, oh, I wanted to point out one more thing. Wherever we're talking about um, Tobiah, and in terms of how he had uh, relationships with the nobles of Israel because he had intermarried into their families. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. So they were communicating with Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. Going back and forth, also they spoke of Tobiah's good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So when you're a leader, you can have all types of threats coming from you. you know, from the outside, uh, from the inside, in terms of people who have a different agenda. For example, Tobiah is trying to influence the nobles to tell Nehemiah, I'm okay. You know, he's part of the family, right? Uh, but at the same time, Tobiah's, Tobiah's motives were always evil. And that's where that discernment uh, comes in. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias and sent letters to make me afraid. Okay. Uh, then we go to verse 6. It is, in it was written, this is a letter, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become king. Now, what they're trying to do is they're trying uh, to... Tear down Nehemiah's reputation. I mean, he's seen as this great leader sent by God to come help and build the wall with holy motives. And what they're trying to say is something different. Uh, they're malicious. They're slanderous and saying, oh, you, need, you think Nehemiah, he's all good and everything. But no, he had this plan all put together when he was back as a cupbearer. And that's the reason he talked to Artaxerxes and came over here because he wanted to be king. He wanted to lead this area. He wanted to bring Israel back to power. And that was lies, lies, lies. But again, you know how that is, right? If you've ever been gossiped about. 
you maybe try to correct some things. And, and again, it doesn't matter. And that's why we need to stand with God in regards to our reputation when people are gossiping about us. And you have a lot have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. So now he's given a reason to come over. To, oh, no, it's because, oh, Nehemiah, we got bad news here. What people are saying about your motives and how you just selfishly came here to Jerusalem so you could set up your own little kingdom. Yeah, yeah that's terrible. And now the king will hear of these reports. Who is the king? King Artaxerxes, right? The one he had worked for. The one where he got the lumber and the military escort and the safe passage letters. And and you see, the thing you need to realize about uh, leaders we see in the Bible, sometimes we just say, well, they were supernaturally empowered. I could never be a Nehemiah. Yes, you could be used like Nehemiah in some way. God has a different plan for you, but at the same time, you need to realize that these people in the Bible were just like us. You know, Nehemiah probably was afraid. Nehemiah probably did worry about this whole situation. Because again, each trial that comes, he's trying to say, okay, should I do this? Should I do this? And then finally, he makes a decision. We don't see the, the, the decision-making process sometimes that he goes through. It was on his mind. I mean, he was doing something very, very dangerous. This was high stakes, guys. His life was on the line. And so they sent this type of letter. Then I said to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. I like that. <laughs> you're making that up. No, you're inventing them out of your own mind. <laughs> Nehemiah, again, closely walked with God, and he listened to God, and, and God gave him the words to say, uh, it's tough to get criticism, right? I mean, if you're a leader, you're going to be criticized. In fact, if you're a leader and nobody's criticizing you, you're not a leader. Nobody's following you. Because <laughs> you're looking forward to going and say, hey, that's the preferred future. Come help me plan and look at what's out there and how exciting things can be. And you have 40% of the guys, I don't, I don't like it. I want to stay where I'm at. <laughs> well, that's the way it is to be a leader. You are going to be criticized, and you just need to take that and address it if need be. But you have to, uh, again, give your reputation to God and trust in Him. Nehemiah 6.9, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now God strengthened my hands. You see, this was, a, this was an effort for people, the Jews, to think that Nehemiah had bad motives. It was all about him and... And again, they were always trying to frighten them and they're going to attack them and things of that nature. But, but, but I tell you, it so can easily happen uh, with leaders that people you know, start saying things. And that's why you have to have a lot of faith as a leader. That you, do, you want to do the right things sometimes. You don't do the right things, but you want to do the right things. And this is what Nehemiah was done. Their goal was the hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. That's what they were thinking. That's what they wanted. And they wanted to frighten. But now, oh God, 
strengthen my hands. Uh, what a great Bible verse, huh? Some verses that just kind of pop out at you, right? Oh, God, strengthen my hands. Which again said that Nehemiah did have concerns over this. It wasn't like, ah, that was idiots. Who cares? No. I mean, he really had to think about this. And he needed more strength to get the job done than before they sent this letter. So he continues to go right back to God. Such an intimate prayer life saying, oh, God, strengthen my hands. You know, we think about our own lives. You know, what area of life right now do you need strength from God for? It's probably at the forefront of your mind because that's what you've been thinking about. And God wants to strengthen you. God wants to encourage you. And you're discouraged. And nothing seems to be going right. And that's why you continue, why you need to continue to ask God to strengthen you. Maybe you're in a challenging marriage relationship. And and you're not sure what to do and you're praying. and You just have to keep going back to God and saying, Strengthen my commitment. Strengthen my commitment. Or maybe you're a college student. See, I'm I'm here today. Good to see you guys. And School is just overwhelming. It's impossible almost. And you're just glad to get out of there. Well, uh, you, you should say something like, strengthen uh, my resolve, strengthen my mind. Because, kids, God is always right there. You're taking a test, you're working through homework and stuff like that, and He wants to encourage you in the midst of the stress that you're having. Or maybe it's a, it's a health issue. You know, it's an ongoing health issue. And you know, it's like, oh, God, strengthen my heart. Strengthen my capacity to deal with this. Like we talked about last week, what we need to do in life is pray and persist. Pray and persist, just like Nehemiah did, and now he's doing here. He's praying and persisting. And again, it might not get a lot easier. I don't know what God wants to do. In your life. But I know the one thing he does want from you. And that's that he wants you to trust him. And that's why he allows some of these things into our lives. So that we'll turn away from our independence. And turn our trust over to him. I, again, I, w- I, w- I would encourage you to take that phrase. Oh God, strengthen my hands. And for some area of your life, rewrite it. Oh God, strengthen whatever. Right? And then pray that as you go throughout the day. Nehemiah 6.10, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Medabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're going to come to kill you by night. Now this is really interesting. Because he wouldn't go down to see those other guys. But Shemaiah was, was a prophet. An obscure one at that, but he was a prophet of God. So Nehemiah actually did go down and meet with him because he was confined to his home for some reason, maybe a religious rite, or we're not sure. But he said, Nehemiah, let us meet together in the house of God. That meant the holy temple in Jerusalem. 
within the temple, and that even speaks of a, a smaller range uh, or a smaller area where only the priests could go. Nobody could go into this area but the priests. But he's saying, hey, you need to come to me, or come with me, to go to the temple, let's close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Anybody ever experienced that? Where someone's threatening your life and you think there's a possibility it might happen? Well, that would really frighten you, wouldn't it? It would frighten me. And you're looking behind all the doors and wondering, you know, is it true? And so again, they hired Shemaiah. The Ray Amigos hired Shemaiah in order to prophesy falsely. Prophesy falsely. Now the idea, how it came together in a sense, is that in the heathen nations, they said, go to the temple if you've committed a crime or anything, anything, and you will be saved. Go to the temple and you will be saved. Well, that was the heathen theology, right? Or, again, their beliefs. And, and so Shemaiah was speaking uh, not from the Word of God, not from God. He was telling Nehemiah to do something that if Nehemiah had done it, it would kill his integrity. If he went to the holy place there and uh, he went in there and lived there, which is typically what happened, uh, everybody would say, oh, Nehemiah, he does have no credibility. You can't trust him. I mean, everybody should know that. Well, he did know that. But I said, should such a man as I run away? What man such as I should go into the temple and live? I will not go in. I will not go in. When's the last time you said that to a temptation in your life? I will not go with you. Or a person who is trying to bring you into something you shouldn't be involved in. I will not do it. I will not be involved in this. I will not go in. Friends, that's why it's so important when we talk about discipleship, especially young Christians. You know, young Christians are easy prey for cults. You know, they kind of get into the church and whatever happens, and then some cult comes along, and they don't know what they're believing, so the cult takes them. We've seen it happen even here at Springbrook. The cult takes them, and it's, it's so sad. That's why we've got to move in right away. That's why we have our Christianity 101 class here. As soon as the person becomes a Christ follower, boom, 10 o'clock on Sundays, 10 to 11, then come to the service. Because we want to give them, uh, get them grounded in the Word of God. So that type of thing will not happen. So another brave decision by Nehemiah. And I understood and saw that God had not sent them, but He had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Now, again, it's interesting. What did Tobiah say about Nehemiah in the open letter? He said, you're hiring prophets. This guy is doing right. He's power hungry. He doesn't care about God. He just wants his position. And uh, so he uses his own technique that he said that Nehemiah uh, was using. Nehemiah 6.13, for this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in the way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to top me. That's what we've been talking about. Verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according, now he's praying again, goes back to prayer. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess, Noadiah, not sure what she did, and take the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. What do you do when someone's coming at you, somebody wants to influence you in the wrong 
way or, or somebody hurts you. Somebody hurts you deeply. Some of you, well, your thought would never hurt you in that way. What do you do with that pain? Well, you give it to the Lord. And God said in Romans 12, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. What you need to do is take that anger, take that I want to get you back, and give that to God and say, God, you're the ultimate judge. You're holy. You're going to handle the situation much better than I am. But if you please could take care of them in whatever way you determine. Now, that's so hard to do because we just want to hang on to that hate. We have to release that hate. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. 6.15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. 52 days again. The job that said, nobody can get this done. We were stopped 19 years ago. We might as well just forget it. And Nehemiah came in supernaturally inspired by God and said, no, we can do it. Look at the miracles that happened back with King Artaxerxes. He can do it. God is working already. So he referenced, again, where it was happening. And that's what we need to say. God's working in my life. He can work in your life. That's why we keep sharing these stories back and forth of what God is doing. Because every time you hear one, you're encouraged. And you say, maybe God can do that in my life. But verse 16, And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. <laughs> That's the most significant verse right there, right? You know, they're always trying to put them down and trying to stop them from building the wall. But once they had that wall up, when all enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid. Now they're afraid of Nehemiah and the Jews because this great thing had happened. Rebuilding this wall in 52 days, it just blew everybody away. They said, wow. This has to be a God. I was talking to Bob Belke this past week, and he was telling me about his wife, Sherry. And they've got a neighbor they're trying to witness to, and he's really you know, shut down. And Sherry went over to care for this elderly woman and was there every day, 24 hours. And this guy said, why would you do that? Well, she just told him, I love to help people because of Christ. And, and Bob said that really impacted him. The fact that she would take that time to care for that person. She was doing great work. And again, he glorified God. Friends, that's, that's the thing we should be thinking about. How can I glorify God? How can I tell other people about what He's done in my life? How can I make that decision? I have a, I'm in the midst of a great work and I cannot come down. Heavenly Father, I just pray you'd be with my friends today and myself. I just ask that uh, you would continue to speak to us as we think about these issues and things that drain us. And again, not wanting to make a certain choice because of fear. Nehemiah is just such a beautiful example of what you can do. Lord, we're frail, we're weak. We're strongest when we're walking with you. And I 
I pray that for whatever issue they've been thinking about throughout the service, uh, that you would continue to speak to them about it. Whether it's releasing hate for a person, whether it's uh, continuing to pray and to persist and pray, persist and pray, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you would change us all. In Christ's name, amen.